As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman for our Sunday episode. This, believe it or not, we've, we're already through 10 weeks of the college football season. Bruce, I thought um, Saturday was about as good of a day as we've had of games in every window from... Uh, Especially the noon window. I mean... The w- new window was great, but then, you know, Kansas State, Texas, Clemson, Notre Dame. Uh, and then, but at night, I mean... The, if you had a split screen between uh, LSU Alabama and USC Washington and those quarterbacks, I mean, I just had to kind of sit back and smile. Those at, four quarterbacks, those four quarterbacks. Time out. What did I say? <laughs> you, you know, you didn't say anything wrong. You oh, can, okay. I'm okay, just saying like, yes, Caleb and Penix, we expected it. Jaden Daniels, we are expecting by now. Jalen Milrow has been a revelation pretty much in the second half of the season was granted. We'll get into this more in a bit, but LSU's defense is really suspect, but he was awesome last night. He was, and we're going to get, that's actually going to be the first on-field topic we discuss, but we have to start things off with a little bit of an update on the pretty big story, the Connor Stallions, Michigan story, because you, my friend, were the first one to make contact with Connor Stallions team on Friday night, tell us what you reported. Yeah, so um, late Friday night, um, I was in contact with both Connor Stallions and Connor Stallions' attorney, um, and Connor um, provided me with a statement that we went with um, Friday night, as well as his attorney. Um, And Connor explained why he resigned when he did. I think the other significant part of this, his attorney, Brad Beckworth, told me, uh, and this is it. Connor also wants to make it clear that to his knowledge, neither Coach Harbaugh nor any other coach or staff member told anyone to break any rules or were aware of improper conduct regarding the recent allegations of advanced scouting, end quote. And so the fact that he is saying, he being Connor, that Jim Harbaugh had no knowledge I think, again, it doesn't absolve anybody of anything in this case. And certainly, you know, we've talked about this a lot before. As a head coach, Jim Harbaugh is responsible for his um, staff. And that 
doesn't seem to give him, you know, much leeway, especially given all the other you know, other stuff going on with the NCA and being in the NCA's crosshairs and certainly Tony Petiti from the Big Ten. And we talked about this some on our big noon show yesterday Saturday morning. Um, you know, there's a lot of pressure on him now to act. The coaches had a video conference call with him without Jim Harbaugh on the phone at that point. And they came really hard at him. And one of the coaches said, described the tone to me as very angry. The ADs probably were a little more measured, but they've also are pushing back. And now you have Michigan gets into the bulk of their schedule. We're going to be in Penn State this weekend for, for our big noon show, Michigan at Penn State. And we'll... Tony Petiti step in and the Big Ten and say, hey, Jim Harbaugh has to serve another suspension. So a couple things there. First of all, um, obviously, most people that read that statement are going to roll their eyes at the notion that nobody else knew that knew. But and then here's the thing. It's to me, OK, there's the what evidence is there that perhaps maybe other staff members were. But also what we've come to realize about Connor Stallions in the last week, what we've come to learn is he clearly, um, you can tell he's one of these people who was like really, really, really proud of the fact that they've cracked the code, right? We know from an SI story a couple weeks ago that he kind of bragged about it to somebody over text message. The Central Michigan thing to me was so like, okay, this is clearly next level. I just can't, for me personally, I find it hard to imagine that at no point that he could have done something like this and never spilled. You know, even if you believe that nobody on the staff had any like actual role in it, that he never would have said, hey, guess what I did last night? Well, let me ask you this. <laughs> Snuck um, on the Central Michigan sideline. Let me ask you this part of it. So the Central Michigan part we'll put on, on yeah. the for, for the time being. But on this, I am very confident Connor Stallions was very proud of his reputation as a as a you know, remarkable signal stealer with this ability. And there's a bunch of people who get into coaching who will do any job possible to get their foot in the door and try to rise up in the ranks. Right. Right. And so the part that I, you know, I hear different sides on when it comes down to people who know Connor, they knew him to be a really, really good. One person described him as a savant at one point when it comes to this. If that skill you have that is so um, coveted is something like, do you like if you're him, do you want people to know how you've gotten better at it? If that's what the lengths you've done, or do you want people to think, oh, you know, this is a guy who went, went to the Naval Academy has all this military training and expertise and is doing something above and beyond that. I don't know the answer to that because then now you're like, I could see the other part of that too. The part that I, you know, look at the story and I'm like, mm, this part doesn't smell right. And this was in the the survey that Max and I did last week with all the coaches is at some point, if you're a head coach or if you're a, a coordinator, uh, you would think you're going to, how is this guy so sure? How is this guy so sure? I mean, you can look at it and say, okay, his track record was so strong. We're just like, okay, he, you know, look, lots of people steal signals and they go off TV copy and that's all they do. And they, that's all they're focused on the games. 
and do other, you know, I don't want to name names, but like, you know, Max and I certainly know who a lot of the the people inside coaching who are regarded as elite signal stealers. And they're, they're people who are not most fan, college football fans, even probably fans of those teams may know who they are. But now because we've talked to so many people and worked on this so much um, is do, do their bosses do they ask them, they circle back with, Hey, did you didn't have somebody go to a spring game? You didn't have somebody, you know, like, I don't know the answer to that. Right. I mean, I think what's makes this one different is the, you know, the one there's a sloppy track record. There's a track, there's a paper trail. And um, the fact that nobody, I mean, just the fact that nobody else would have been involved in all the expenses, but Hey, that's all speculation. Um, like I, I know some Michigan people and I say Michigan people, they're like Michigan alums, Michigan fans or whatever, who have like, you know, I don't say come at me, but like brought this up to me. And they're like, you know, if if Jim Harbaugh's bosses and the higher ups at Michigan were so aware, do you really think he would have been so sloppy at this? I think there's a difference between Jim Harbaugh knowing and maybe a position coach or even a uh you know, there's so many people in that building. I mean, if, it's shirt. A, if it's a coordinator, would you think that they that if they were aware, they'd be like, "Well, if you're going to do that, don't do that. Don't put your name on it. Don't you know?" Like, yeah, some of that stuff seems really baffling. How this is like, I, I mean, I could definitely see there being like a, "Hey, I don't know how he gets his info, and I don't want to know." Right? Like <laughs> that could be that could definitely be part of it. The Tony Petiti thing is really interesting. I mean. I'm not, this whole thing has turned, you know, um, it's not often when you're like, let's say prosecuting a case that you go and meet with the people who most want to see the guy punished. And then you go meet with, he went, went, met with the president of Michigan, go meet with, um, the per, a person who has a vested interest in you not punishing them and then sit down and decide, okay, what am I going to do here? And if it is a suspension of the head coach, Again, you would be doing unless they have some something we don't know about. You'd be doing it with no actual proof or connection that Harbaugh was involved in this. You would basically just be saying, you know, you're the head coach of the program. We know that somebody on your program was up to no good, so you're going to pay the price. And it does feel like a a bit of a compromise, maybe. Of there are people I'm sure in the Big Ten that want them forfeit all your games, banned from the championship game, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there are people who are going to say, well, that would be unfair to the players. They didn't they didn't have anything to do with this. So suspending the head coach would be a bit of a compromise, a bit of a middle ground. People wouldn't be happy with it at Michigan, but I think they'd be much more toler tolerant of that than, you know, not being able to play for a championship. Doesn't mean it would be over. The NCAA investigation would continue. More things yeah, that's could not, come about. That, that's a long and off. That's a long way away. This would be a little bit of a stopgap, I guess. Um, one thing on what you said, you were like talking about people prosecuting a case. Well, the difference here is that Tony Petiti basically works for those people who are, you know, he's coming to the presidents of the university. It's not like that doesn't, the justice system doesn't really operate that way, but obviously this isn't the justice system. The question I would have for you, and this is a, uh, this is a hypothetical we're taping this Sunday morning. If Jim Harbaugh is, and I'd also, by the way, you know, like Jim Harbaugh, uh, not being there for the first three games, obviously their first few games, obviously those were tune-up games anyway. Um, this isn't like Lincoln Riley or even Ryan Day 
um, being out where he is like the primary play caller. I'm not saying Jim Harbaugh doesn't have any role in game day, but my feeling is Jim Harbaugh's value to them is much more Sunday through Sunday through Friday than it is on Saturday. And again, the other guys I just mentioned, they're way more hands-on when it comes to the X and O's. And it's not to say he doesn't do anything, but if Jim Harbaugh were to be suspended for <clears throat> Penn State, which is obviously it's at Penn State and it's not an easy place to play. Um, and even the Maryland, Maryland game next week. But so, let's say they were to lose to Penn State and then he were to return for Ohio State. And they beat Ohio State. Now you have basically every the big three there have all beaten each other. How does that like how does and I know that has a long tiebreaker formula, but like, how does anybody process that in terms of if you're the CFP or all this other stuff? You know, it's just like a fascinating dynamic to me once you get get in the weeds of it. I don't know. I think you're right. I think Harbaugh sit, being able to coach during the week, but not on Saturdays almost becomes a bit symbolic. Um, I also think. We'll, if, if Tony Petiti was like, this is the most this is extremely serious. We need to make a we need to make it absolutely clear. We do not tolerate this. He would include the Ohio State game in the suspension, right? Because that's the that's the one he most doesn't want to miss. Um, I mean, frankly, they could lose to Penn State, come back, beat Ohio State, have all their goals intact. So that would be if, if he did that, that would be like a oh wow. He the game suspension would be very significant. Very significant. But especially when you're talking about the the way their schedule sets up, these you know it's basically only two game regular season for them. Well, think about it. Harbaugh was suspended three games for his previous sense, you know, his. his oh, his, it was a self-sanctioned one. It wasn't like when he was suspended, but that would be like, I don't even want to, you know, give an analogy of it, but it's like, it's a little different. Like that was like. You know, I, when you said three games is significant, you meant the number of games or which games they would include. Both. Yeah. Both. I don't think the number is all that significant. If it were the first three games of the season, you wouldn't think twice about it. But it's are you willing to are you willing to do this to the signature game, the biggest game of the year the Big Ten has every year? This one could could possibly be, you know, uh, 11 and 0 versus 11 and 0. Like that would be a, you know, we're I, I want to say, but like him missing the 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 Penn State, who are they playing between them? Maryland. Him missing the Penn State and Maryland games and coming back to Ohio State games would feel kind of slap on the wrist. I mean, is it really affect them that much in, in in terms of where they're trying to get? It's the Ohio State game that's the key one. But I think the part though that again, and this is where I guess Michigan's talking about is, is there a due process component? If you're going to come down with if they suspended them for three games, and it being Ohio State and Michigan, uh, Ohio State and Penn State being involved in that, there's no slap on the wrist with that. That is a then that is a heavy you know punishment. Correct. And that's what the other coaches in the Big Ten want to see, right? They want to see that there's because if they don't do something significant, then everybody's going to have scouts at games in the stands next year. If you can do this and not really pay much of a price, um, we should talk about. Yeah, it really was a great day of football. Yeah, and you mentioned it off the top, okay? Jaden Daniels versus Jalen Milrow. You know, this was not um, going into the game, right? This was not did not have the fanfare of most recent LSU Alabama games. This wasn't number one versus number four or something like that. It wasn't in the top 10 game because, you know, LSU's in the top 10. Yeah, because LSU wasn't in the top 10. But once the game kicked off, I mean, it was LSU Alabama. 
it was high stakes, high drama, and a little bit, at least at first, felt a little bit like 2019, where these teams are going trading touchdowns. Nobody can stop the other team's quarterback. Obviously, eventually Alabama, you know, um, finally broke serve, finally forced a punt, and then a, and then a tipped interception, and then unfortunately Jaden Daniels got hurt. Um, I, I just kept thinking, you know, I remember sitting here with you on this podcast the first few weeks of the season and us, uh, you know, talking about, gosh, Alabama, man, this, they have, they have no quarterback play. I mean, Jalen Milroe got benched for a whole game <laughs> against USF. And then last night on Twitter, I'm seeing people in the Alabama media say like, Jane Daniels, is a Heisman candidate, then Jalen Milroe should be a Heisman candidate. What a, what a, what a, you know, re, re, uh, in-season reinvention this team underwent to get to where they are. I mean, I thought he was fantastic, especially as a runner. Um, and, and they, you know, this, this, the end of the day, I don't think you can really nitpick that much anymore. They are now alone and, you know, they're going to probably win the West. They are going to be in the top seven, top seven, top eight tomorrow on Tuesday. And if they get the SEC title game, beat Georgia, they're probably going to go to the playoff, which would be a typical Alabama season. I don't know if they can do that, but I wouldn't rule it out. Yeah. Uh, first thing, this is the obvious statement. So remember when Nick Saban said we failed the the midterm and how it was, yeah. you know, like, okay. So he's the best coach, you know, in college football that's ever been. And this is another example of why um, I think uh, I I'm a, became a big like I want to watch Jalen Milrow like the announcers were right last night in terms of his ability to accelerate and hit top speed is spectacular. Um, he's so much fun to watch what they did with him. I thought like credit to Tommy Reese. You know, he is not he's had good athletes at quarter. He never had like anybody like this. Um, and so that was fun. I think. You know, I, I've become such a believer in Jaden Daniels. He keeps getting better and better. And he the stuff he's doing against SEC defenses with his legs is is remarkable every week. Now, it's unfortunate that, you know, he got hurt at the end of the game, took that big shot from Dallas Turner. Um, you know, they're a three loss team and they're you know not going to be anywhere near the top 10 right now. But to me. He absolutely belongs in New York for the Heisman. You know, to me, he's right now, like, I don't know. I have him there with with Bo Nix, and I still think Marvin Harrison Jr. has a path to win it because he's got, you know, the big game against against Michigan coming up later, whether Jim Harbaugh is there or not. I mean, I just think that's a game everyone's going to watch it, and people will look at it and go, okay, he's the best player at his position. But you know what? Jaden Daniels has two terrific receivers, too, and Malik Neighbors and and Brian Thomas, and those guys played great. I mean, I was on the flight home from Austin yesterday, and um, I was thankful that I switched flights that I was going to be on an American flight as opposed to United, so I was able to split screen both TVs and watch everything. Um, and so you had the Washington – you had what felt like a very big 12 game in Washington against USC where – um, another transfer, but not a quarterback from the SEC was going off against USC and ran for like 300 yards. And um, it was just, a, it was just a fun night where, you know, like I, to transition a little into Washington and I know they obviously still probably gonna have a rematch against, against Oregon. Like I look at them and you almost forget they're undefeated. 
at times right. because they've been so, you know, they've, they've looked really shaky against some bad teams. They looked, you know, they had their hands full last night. I mean, it was just a, I guess what I'm trying to say is it was a fun night for college football that I don't know if I think of any of those teams as, oh, they'll win a national title. Because I just, you know, I could be totally wrong, you know, because obviously Washington's in the middle of it. USC is not. Certainly LSU is not. Alabama will have a chance because they will, you know, probably get Georgia and we'll see what happens. Um, I would ask you this. Do you think from what you've seen, and by the way, Missouri gave Georgia, uh, you know, a handful yesterday until Georgia ended up, you know, winning 30 to, I guess, 30 to 21. What kind of chance do you give, especially knowing that Georgia's defense has had some problems with quarterbacks who can run a little, not even like this guy, like Peyton Thorne ran on them. Now, all of a sudden, you got Jalen Milrow, who is a way different problem. Like, do you think, how confident are you that Alabama could beat Georgia? I mean, I would give them, I would definitely give them a better shot going into the game than I would have given them two years ago when they, when they pulled off that, you know, insane uh, offensive showing with Bryce Young against that defense. I mean, you know, I watched the Georgia Missouri game and I'm of the opinion that Georgia is still Georgia. Um, They're just not as overpowering, overpowering and dominant as they have been. This was a game where I thought I came away with a lot of respect for Missouri, frankly. They could have folded when it was 24-13, and instead they marched down the field and and, and scored touchdowns, two conversion cuts, three points. And then it just seems like when Georgia went as soon as they get challenged like that, they're like, okay, well, guess what? We're Georgia. <laughs> and the stackhouse, I know it didn't count the the run back, but the stackhouse interception was just like, okay, right. Yeah, they have guys like that. I remember now. Um, but they're not unbeatable. And I mean, I think Jalen Milrow is going to cause problems for any defense, uh, the way he runs the ball. I think Georgia Alabama's running game in general is going to cause problems for anybody. I think it would be a great game. Um, I want to get back to what you're talking about with those quarterbacks, not to turn this into a Heisman discussion. Cause frankly, I don't know that people care that much about the Heisman race anymore, but it's like an interesting, it's an interesting window into, um, how we view these quarterbacks. So of the four guys that were playing in that showcase window, Caleb Williams had, you know, the awful game against Notre Dame and his team is the most out of it, if you will. Um, Michael Penix is the quarterback of the undefeated team. Therefore he should theoretically be like the runaway guy out of that group. Jane Daniels, I'm with you gets better by the week. He was breaking ankles last night. My point is like, if you threw out the team's records and said, who, which of these guys would you rank highest? I think I would probably go Jaden Daniels. I, I think he's been unbelievable. He's a one-man wrecking crew. Um, in that game last night, he had 11 carries for 161 yards before he got hurt. Um, and he I threw, don't, threw I, two long that. touchdown passes. But that's not how it's going to work because LSU has three losses. I don't think what you just said, even the way you said it, I totally agree with it. Mm-hmm. You know, in, a, in some ways... Jaden Daniels is is a little is like Caleb in this regard. LSU's defense is really, really bad right now. It's surprisingly yeah. bad because they have a lot of high-level talent in the front seven, but they've been struggling from the moment FSU lit them up. And so you feel like without without um Jaden Daniels, that 
LSU is a three-loss team right now. And look, I think Garrett Nussmeyer is as talented a backup as there is, but Jaden Daniels has been stepping in the phone booth every time he goes on the field. And I feel like they may be a five-loss team without him. You know, and, um, you know, similar to Caleb, you know, I think USC, you know, is probably a five-loss team without him. I mean, Caleb, just like Jaden, Caleb, Caleb is do, giving it his all. He's he's trying out there. He's getting no help. Uh, he was breaking ankles last night. Um, I thought the scene at the end of the game of him crying in his mom's arms was. Um, It'll be one of the more memorable scenes of yeah. this season, to be honest, because at first, like he jumped up in the stands and it almost looked like for a second, I thought it was like, oh, this is kind of like. Like it was almost like she was holding the play card over his face, so you know no one sees it. And I was like, and then you could see his body, you know. I think that is what she was doing, right? Yeah, she was. But I'm just saying, like at first, I was like, I, I guess I, it took me a second to process what was going on, and the cameras didn't pull away to the point where it was, it was, you know, I don't want to say uncomfortable, but it was just, it's just kind of like this is sports too, you know. And I think for as you know, and he, we, I want to say we know him. I mean, we know him as, you know, he's one of Heisman. He's in all these commercials. And yet in that moment, it was a very, um, it was a very personal moment that looked like this is still a kid. You know, Correct. if you saw this in an NFL game, first of all, let's say, um, you know, again, I, I'm the CJ Stroud, different, different kid and everything, but similar age three and out right if somehow they had a you know a couple of great games then all of a sudden the texans lost to somebody you would never imagine cj stroud going into the stands um and and see that like this is the difference between college football or one of the big differences and the nfl like caleb is not much you know caleb's you know three years out of high school basically now and he's this guy who if you look at him physically he doesn't look like a college kid i mean he hasn't since he's been at USC. He's a he's a big physical, you know, built up man. You know, lot, facial hair handles himself in a lot of ways like he is an NFL player. And you know, in that one, and believe me, I am not finding fault or anything. It's just an observation. I was just like, it was a it was a big, wide open reminder. These are still college kids, and they are still kind of working their way through it. And it was a very powerful moment, you know? Um, and again, like, I wasn't sure at one point I was like, man, this is like, do the cameras pull away from this? Cause it almost feels invasive. Yeah. I don't know if that would be the word I would use, but I don't know. Do you think what, like, what did you think of that? I get why the TV would do it. I don't have a, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't have a problem with TV doing it. It's part of the, you know, it, it's not like this was in some, you know, hallway somewhere is right right in front of everybody but i think you're i mean what you said is exactly right. he's still a kid he's 21 he turns 22 soon but he's 21 and it really at that moment i thought of like that ridiculous chatter after the notre dame game of oh he's going to shut it down yeah. he should just shut it down and not play and these guys do not view themselves that's just not how they view it they don't look at themselves as you know investment properties they he really 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 wanted to win that game and keep their championship hopes alive their back championship hopes alive and you saw the emotion pour out and who knows what is going through him at that point maybe he realizes he's like giving it his all and and can't do any more and 
I don't know. I don't know exactly goes through his mind. All I know is he cares. But you and, saw that also, like, uh, I think it was Fowler was doing the game last night. He did a very, like, he hammered on a point. Deuce Robinson is a really gifted young receiver, and there was a drop on what would have been a big play early in the game. And the cameras, I think it was Holly Rowe, went, you know, you know, really hammered it home, too, because she witnessed it. Him coming on the sideline and how he is trying to lead this team. And so I think that juxtaposition with, you know, like – you're living in the moment and you're living on a big stage and doing all the things that I think, you know, it's like we're getting a window into things that sometimes you don't get into and seeing that. And I think that all reflects well of him. And I think, you know, and it's just like, it's just a reminder still, you know, still kids at this point. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second, but now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So, Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash audible. That's linkedin.com slash audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. So the reason I think that out of that group, Jane Daniels performance stood out to me the most is this LSU's defense. Terrible. We know that, right? Not entirely surprising that Alabama would put up 42 on them. Washington's defense at times has looked a little bit better, but at the end of the day is still not that great. USC, obviously. But Alabama had a top five defense going to this game. They've got a lot of dudes that are going to go play in the NFL. And Jaden Daniels was still running circles around them at times. And so, I don't know. I haven't turned in my – Manny Devaro is our uh, Heisman straw. I haven't filled in the ballot. I might have uh, Jane Daniels at number one. I know that probably goes against all the rules, right? Are you kidding me? Three-loss team. Uh, you're going to have him ahead of Bo Nix or – uh, JJ McCarthy or certainly panics. Like you said, his team is undefeated. I just, he hasn't looked quite the same to me since the Oregon game though. He did have that one ridiculous, um, touchdown pass to Devin Culp. Uh, but yeah, I think Daniels might be the most outstanding. The thing with Washington that's unbelievable to me is these guys are nine and oh, and you've already seen them win two, you know, big down to the wire, emotional, um, games against ranked teams, Oregon and now USC. And do you realize what they still have ahead of them? Like we're down to the last three weeks of the season. You would think the the most of the hard work is behind you. And no, they got to turn around this week and face Utah. Then they go at Oregon State. They play Washington State, who has just fallen apart. And I don't really understand what happened there, but it is a rivalry game. And then if you can win all those, you get to go to the Pac-12 championship game, probably play Oregon again. So that's three ranked teams. And your arch rival between now and selection Sunday. And I would think with a res if that's your schedule and you could beat that many top 25 teams that you could lose one of those games. And if you still win the Pac-12, you're going to the playoff. But I don't know. You were in Austin. There was a moment there where I thought Texas was going to lose and the Big 12 would be officially done. But they won and they're still in it. And rise of right now, I really think somebody is going to go 12 and one in one of these power five conferences and get left out. Yeah. The Austin experience was something because Texas goes up, I think it's 17 to nothing. You feel like they're going to just, you know, blow K state out. And we know how good of a coaching staff that is in Manhattan, Kansas, but I almost felt like there was some message to them that, that maybe that's the common message that a lot of coaches have is like, just stay in it, just stay in it. No matter how bad things are starting to go, just stay in it. Cause eventually they're going to give us something or something's going to break our way. And they had some turnovers and Malik Murphy does something, you know, he's a really inexperienced young quarterback. He's a giant of a man who has a really good arm. Um, but there was a couple of decisions where like, Ooh, this is, you know, he's lucky he got away with this. And I felt like um, K-State is it's hard. Like AD Mitchell, by the way, is the wow guy when you see him in person and watch him in warm-ups and see the things he does that make look so effortless um you know when when max and i did the portal 100 max talked to some people at texas and really pushed for ad mitchell i think he was number two on our list and i was like okay you know like and just you watch him and he also had two great plays early in the game but there is um, you know, the firepower that Texas has is really, really impressive that, you know, at skill positions and everything like that. And they do not look like what Texas used to look like. They're physically big, they're athletic, but
But then at the end of the game, they are scuffling. Now, I feel like this is a game Texas used to lose. And it felt like that. I mean, it was tw- 27 to 7. And as the wheels started to come off for, and Kansas State came back, it really did feel like, oh, boy, this is why you can't count on Texas. Now, they do. So we went to practice on Friday, UT practice on Friday. Ewers threw on Thursday. You know, this is the the AC sprain in his throwing shoulder. They're optimistic that he could get back maybe as early as this weekend to get, they go to TCU, which honestly, I'm not sure, like, TCU is not what they were certainly last year. I I think they could probably hold him off another week. I'm sure they think, I don't know if they think this way, but it's like, hey, we can beat them without having to, you know, have Quinn in there. So we'll see if he can make it back or do they hold him out another week when, you know, I think they have Iowa state after that. Um, like to me, they still look like they're the, they're the best team in the big 12, but they're definitely, they're definitely gettable if they turn the ball over just like almost anybody else is, unless their talent gap is that much bigger. And I just don't think it is. So I thought it was just fascinating the way things unfolded in the big 12 yesterday. Cause you know, I, I picked upsets in both that and Bedlam, which if it had happened, Big 12's done. So you get a split. Texas holds on. They win. Um, they still very much control their destiny, obviously, to to at least win the Big 12 championship. By the way, that Alabama win gets better and better by the week. So if they were to get into some sort of, hey, it's down to these two teams' resumes, that's going to be a heck of a thing to have on your resume. Bedlam, um, I don't know. I've kind of suspected for weeks that Oklahoma peaked in the Red River game. Uh, and then just the fact that it was going to be the final Bedlam game, it was in Stillwater. Look, it went right down to the wire, just like their loss to Kansas did. But Oklahoma State pulled it out. Um, I hate when officiating becomes the topic, but as soon as they missed that pass interference, the blatant pass interference, I knew because, you know, you are, if you're an Oklahoma or Texas fan, you already have reason to think the Big 12 has it out for you. And then that happens in the, in the, you know, uh, crucial moments that kept them from a scoring. They had to settle for a field goal and then they never did get back to score again. But that would be Oklahoma state fans are going to spend the rest of their lives bragging about how they beat Oklahoma to in the last time they ever played each other. If it ends up being the last time they play each other and Oklahoma fans are going to spend the rest of their lives insisting that the big 12 refs screwed them. Yes. Um. Hey, listen, this is a, an amazing turnaround in Stillwater. It's not the first time this happens. There's, I, I don't want to say they're a lot like Utah, but I feel like this program, you have a coach who's been there forever who seems to really epitomize the culture around the place. And his teams usually don't get the respect until they start winning in the second half of the season, usually, and do that. Um, right. I want to. I mean, they, 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 it's amazing to me. This team lost by three touchdowns to South Alabama, who I believe has a losing record at this point. And they're now, you know, one of two teams that has the, you know, inside track to win the big 12 and all credit to Gundy. Um, t- t- just to, you know, Alan Bowman obviously took the reins. I thought he played really well. And then Ali Gordon is just, he's now one of the biggest stars in the sport. I don't know if people, people fully caught on yet. And he didn't have another 200 something yard game, but he, Ran 33 times for 137 yards, two touchdowns. The guy, you know, was barely playing at the beginning of the season. And now he's had six straight 100-yard games, the last five of which are, you know, 
Oklahoma State wins. They are, um, when the new rankings come out, I assume they will be right on the cusp of the top 10. That's a heck of a turnaround. Yeah. Alan Bowen was a guy I always thought about, you know, when we do our shout outs of, of making him one because his career has been so star crossed. He started out great, and his first big moment was actually beating Oklahoma State in Stillwater. It was the first time Texas Tech had done it. And then he has all these horrific injuries, goes to Michigan, you know, it did that big story on him. And Alan is like, it's like talking to him. He's a grown up, like when you talk to him. And, and it's very cool to see him having this. I think he might actually have another year of eligibility even after this, but um, do it, do it, Alan. I I love seventy seniors. Yeah, um, he's, he's like he's the guy where you're like, okay, this guy's super mature, and he doesn't seem like you're talking to any college kid. You don't even refer to him as kid. So good for him. Um, so you, Gundy, we would agree, polarizing coach, more polarizing, Dabo Sweeney, and guess who was the 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 bell of the ball Saturday. Who had the fans celebrating around him? Um, uh, that was that was classic Clemson. I mean, there's no other way to put it. At four and four. He had the tussle with the radio caller on Monday. Tyler from Spartanburg goes into legend, and they knock off Notre Dame. Um, basically, ruined Notre Dame season. It doesn't really change the fact that they're two and four in the ACC. But what it was to me was just a little bit of a reminder that okay, they still have it in them. Right. Stop the bleeding. Clemson can win a big game against a nationally ranked team. Um, Phil Maffa, the running back, just went off with Will Shipley out and then the defense. And I think back to Bruce, I feel like this summer we had at least one, if not two conversations where we put the QBs into tiers and there was some disagreement amongst Sam Hartman. And people were really hard on me. Notre Dame fans were really hard on me that I didn't have Sam Hartman higher. And I just kept saying, look, the guy threw for a ton of yards at Wake Forest. He also threw a ton of interceptions. And unfortunately for Notre Dame, that's kind of where this ended up, where he started out with all the high highs and, and got everybody excited and then in, kind of came back to earth and obviously had a pretty miserable game there against Clemson and that Clemson defense. I think Pete Sampson's done an excellent job of writing about how you know, it's not just him. Notre Dame's receivers that could not be more underwhelming this season. Obviously, you go back and look at the um, the OC hire that didn't happen with Andy Ludwig. But at the end of the day, like, I, I have to think this is considered a pretty disappointing season for Notre Dame now to have three losses. They're not going to go to even a New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah, I mean, look, I don't know if this says more about Notre Dame or where Clemson's at. I mean, I think the big thing, I don't know say one of the big things, but like, Clemson was all over Notre Dame, and I think they played with with a chip on its shoulder. The NBA, you know, Moth almost ran for 200 yards, and I think that was also a big tell of like, okay, we heard what you know what what happened on the radio show, and that ain't us, you know, kind of thing. Some some people have suggested Tyler should get the game ball. Yeah, I think those people are wrong. But. <laughs> I'm talking about Tyler, the the radio caller. Um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't really change things for Clemson's season other than it stops the bleeding. But I'll be interested to see if they can build off the momentum of that. Notre Dame, believe it or not, is 7-3 and three and only has two games left against Wake Forest and Stanford. So it's kind of – it is what it is. They're going to go to one of those next tier down ACC bowls. All right, now let's turn our attention to another coach polarizing. I don't know what you want to call it. He's definitely embattled. Uh, A&M, another near miss. 
they went right down to the wire against Ole Miss, number 10 Ole Miss, and their last second field goal that would have sent the game to overtime gets blocked. So they're five and four, which brings us back to the um, never ending Jimbo Fisher. Are they going to pay the 70 gazillion million dollars or not? And Bruce Brent Zornerman from the San Antonio Express News, who's covered AM for a long time. They got, you may remember him as the guy who broke the news of OU in Texas going to the SEC. Uh, he wrote last night he believes Jimbo Fisher will be back in 2024 because he's had three losses to ranked teams by one score and has a favorable 24 schedule. Uh, he's closer. He's literally in College Station. We're not. Does that jive with what you think? Logically, it doesn't because, yeah, he's had some close losses this year. It's year six. I mean, I don't know. You are paying this guy a fortune. Now, look, if they can beat LSU on the road, then it then I maybe that gives. But does some, that really change? Like, okay, LSU, no, it, good it, team, no, not does. great team. Does that really does. like, yeah, it shouldn't change your opinion one way or the other about whether he's the right coach for your, for your program. Here's the thing, though. Like, if you beat LSU on the road, then all of a sudden it's a four-loss LSU team. It's like, is that the greatest win that you're going to hang your hat and say, okay, we're going to have year seven of Jimbo Fisher where we're paying him like he's Nick Saban and we know he's not. Um, Because at at best, what you're looking at is an eight and four season. It's like, this is, this is just like, I don't see what you'd be hanging your hat on other than saying, you know what, Uh, Scott Woodward and, and the people in charge at that, at that point, um, you know, wanted a big name, they got a big name, and then the money people tripped over themselves to give him even more money, and they made a really bad business decision that they can't, you know, can they get out from under it? You know, everything I've heard is, yes, they could. I just, I think the other problem for them is, who do they hire if they spend this fortune to get rid of him? That's, to me, I think... It's not like if I said to you right now, and I will, give me the percent chance you think Jimbo Fisher will lead Texas A&M to a national title if he keeps the job. Mm. Less than 3%? 0.2%. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's just so, not, I mean, it, it's not even a, like that question passed two years ago. Like that's not going to happen. Yeah. Like you're, you're still paying him, you know, $75 million or whatever it's going to be. Cause if like, and a year from now, this doesn't get like, what does he do next year? Okay, we get Wegman back. Wegman's a good player. Some of these recruits will be there. Some of them will probably be gone. Um, you know, it's not like Georgia's leaving the conference. Now, yeah, Look, Texas, this is only even a question because of the buyout. I mean, no, I get it, but I'm 26 like 26 and 21 now, in the SEC. You know, they fired Kevin Sumlin. He has for, not won a road game in over two years. Yeah, they fired Kevin Sumlin for, for less than that. I mean, Kevin Sumlin. Um, I don't have this exact number in front of you, but hit, Jimbo's record is 44 and 25. That's like three or four games behind where Kevin Sumlin was when he got fired. So that's not even the question. It's not, do we need to make a coaching change? Yes, you do. It's, are you willing to spend, you know, the, the, the GDP of a third world country to make that happen? And then, like you said, you're not done spending the money once you buy him out, then you got to go spend the money to go hire whoever you think is, yeah, you know, and the by, coach by the that's way, going to change it for you. So I don't want to gloss over this, you know, too much on it. But like, you know, yeah, the the losses are one score games. The Miami team they got beat pretty soundly by 
that ain't a great team. They're a three loss team and they, they're, they could be a five loss team. They're I think lucky. that those stats are just for somebody who, if you're somebody who is looking for any excuse to like, maybe we can wait it out one more year and save ourselves nine and a half million dollars. It's not like you're looking at that and going, see, he's so close. Just give him one more year and, and they're going to be Georgia. Like, no, nobody thinks that at this point. It's God, that's a lot of money. I think I, I at this point, I would think they're, they're going to do it. Like, I don't know when, I don't know how it just, you can't continue to have this hanging over you year after year after year, but it's not my money. <laughs> I'm not the one who would have to spend that. Uh, there was a report Saturday that uh, in the NFL from Adam Schefter that, um, you know, the, the Raiders cleaned house this week, fired their head coach, their GM, their offensive coordinator, and that they cost the Raiders $85 million to do that. That's about, that's pretty similar to what it's going to cost AM, a college football program to make this move. But if you're, if you, you know, if you think that's what's got to be done, generally speaking in the SEC in particular, they find the money. Let's go to shout outs. All right, Stu, I will start. My shout out is on a team that almost pulled a huge upset last week, but fell short in Happy Valley. And that is Indiana and Tom Allen. And they did get a big win yesterday, snapping a six-game Big Ten losing streak by beating Wisconsin 20-16. to Tom Allen, similar to Jimbo, had a, you know, his best year at his place in the COVID year um, and has struggled since then. He's, by all accounts, by people who, you know, his peers, are one of the more decent men in coaching. He's a really good defensive mind. His team plays hard. They are usually pretty undermanned. This is a good win. It's not, I don't know, you know, he's another guy's on the hot seat. He's another guy with a really big buyout relative to, you know, not buyout by big buyout by Texas A&M standards, but certainly by any other standards, especially for Indiana football. Um, but that, you know, look, just to get a win like that and snap the streak, I think that deserves a shout out. I thought for sure you were going with Arizona. I thought I you I were going to shout out. Three straight wins over top 25 teams, bowl eligibility for the first time since 2017. Um, but I get it. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to do an odd one this time, okay? My shout out is to the Iowa Hawkeyes. And the reason I say that is we give them a lot of crap, as we should, for playing a style of football that is like 80 to 100 years behind the curve, the negligence, the incompetence, all that stuff, right? They beat Northwestern 10 to 7. The game was at Wrigley Field. It was the seventh highest scoring game played at Wrigley Field this year. There were six Cubs games higher scoring than that. But you know why I think they deserve a little bit of credit? They actually win. In the Big Ten West yesterday, four teams went into the day tied for first in this awful, mediocre division. Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Nebraska. Iowa was the only one that won. The other three all lost to teams that either had zero or one Big Ten win going to the season. So as terrible as that offense is, as amusing as these stats are, they're probably going to win the Big Ten West. They're they're alone in first now. I shouldn't say probably because they still have to play these teams, but um, they just keep finding ways to win. As ugly and as um, uh, mockable as it is, they just keep finding ways to win. So we'll give them a pat on the back today. As always, you can send your questions to theaudiblepod at gmail.com and we'll answer them on Wednesday. We'll see you next time. How did we get away with the things we used to do?